Today on Abounding Grace, consider how the Apostle John was changed by the grace of God. So how does a son of thunder, desiring power and prominence and position, become an apostle of love? Well, I believe it's because he spent time with Jesus, just like you do, that he was really open to be changed. That as we sang the song earlier, that there was a true surrender in his life, and he laid down his rights, and he laid down those things that were hindering him when they were revealed. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It is good to be with you and welcome to Abounding Grace. We've just started in our new study of John's Gospel and here in the early going, we're getting to know the Apostle John. Pastor Ed Taylor established last time that John was known as the Apostle of Love. But it wasn't always that way. God changed him. And I should add, he can change us too. Let's see how as we turn together to the first chapter of John's Gospel. John's very clearly this apostle of love. But those of you that are Bible students, you know that John wasn't always that way. Turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 now. Luke, chapter 9. John was not always known as the apostle of love. Jesus actually gave John and James a nickname. Their nickname was Sons of Thunder. And, and, and I get this picture. I, I don't know any other way to really put it. You know, all the disciples had, you know, linen robes, but James and John had leather robes with chains and spikes and lightning bolts. Because in them, in them was a roughness. In them, James and John in these early days was not a deep love. You would not have looked at them and concluded that they were very loving people. And here's an example. Luke chapter 9, pick up with me in verse 51. I know we're going to be in a lot of different passages, so you can jot some of them down or you can read some of them with me. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But, verse 53, they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Basically, Luke is telling us that Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on the Father's timetable. He's going to get there exactly the time that God desires him to get there. And as he's passing through, the Samaritans in this village resist him because he's on a timetable. Basically, they resist him because it was in the will of God, the sovereignty of God. This, this, it was God's will for the Samaritans to not accept Jesus at this particular time. So with that in mind, look at how James and John, not realizing this, look how they respond. In verse 54, it says, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? (laughs) Okay, take it in for a second. These guys want to wipe out a whole people group. That's, That's what they're saying here. 
And, and they're saying it in a very spiritual way. It says, you know, Jesus, they're rejecting you. They don't want anything to do with you. And I remember that Bible study. I remember Elijah. Elijah did something really cool. He wiped out the prophets of Baal with fire from heaven. Jesus, can we do that, please? We just, think, we, we just don't, we don't care about these people. They don't care about you. Can we wipe them out? You really have to be far from the heart of God to want to wipe out a people group. Wouldn't you agree? You're not walking in the spirit. You're not reflecting the character and nature of God when you want to wipe somebody out. Or I, that's a nice way of saying when you want to kill someone. That reflects, when you're that angry and that upset, that reflects a distance between you and God. That's where they're at. They're, they're in a place in this early stage of their life following Jesus. They're very close to what they used to be, which is pretty common for new believers, you know. There's a lot of things that God works out in our lives over time. And what we see here, James and John, John wasn't always this apostle of love. He was a pretty mean dude. His solution, when things didn't go his way or things didn't go away that he wanted, his solution was to wipe them out. That's it. You know, it would be a much better place on this earth, Jesus, if we could just wipe them out. I can't believe they didn't accept you. All they deserve is fire from heaven. Ask Elijah. He did it too. It's okay. It's biblical to wipe people out with fire, Jesus. Because I saw Elijah do it. And we know it's not from the heart of God because Jesus, it says in verse 55, turned and rebuked them. And he said something very powerful. He said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. You guys don't get it yet. This is coming from inside of you. This isn't some idea. This is how you've chosen to solve problems. This is how you've chosen to solve problems with other people. You don't even know. It's almost like I can hear, you know, there's a strong rebuke, but I also hear in the heart of Jesus, you don't know what spirit you are, but you will pretty soon, and you're going to change. You're going to be really different. You're not going to want to wipe people out with fire anymore, eventually. Now, I don't know if you've ever, ever had come to the place where you're so angry with someone that in your mind, you would just want to see them gone. But you know, you know that's not a good place. Jesus said, you know, if you murder someone in your heart, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And that's what's happening with John. What's happening with John is the same thing that happens with you and I. In the condition that we are, God changes us from the inside out. There's a Bible word for that. If you were with us in our study in the book of Romans, we spent a considerable amount of time studying this one word. It's the Bible word sanctification. Don't be afraid of big Bible words. Don't be afraid of doctrine in the scriptures because it's a very powerful word, sanctification. In modern day language, what we would say today, sanctification means to be changed from the inside out. That's what it means, to be changed from the inside out. And the process of being changed began the day you were born again and will last until you see Jesus face to face. That means all of our time on the earth is a time of being changed or being sanctified or being changed. The change that's taking place is not a change into being like another person. It's a change being into the image of Jesus Christ. You and I are becoming more and more like Jesus. Not just in our actions, but in the very essence of who we are. You know, the change started the minute you were born again. The Bible says that you and I became a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God is working on you. You see, there's a problem with you and I. We have a tendency to change outward things. Let me say that's not necessarily a bad thing. For example, you know, when a person comes to know Jesus personally and in their previous life, they just cussed all the time. One of the things, that's an easy one to change. You're like, you know, I don't think cussing really honors God. And I think I'll stop cussing. That's a great decision, by the way. You know, it's not going to be very, you know, because the Bible says with our words that we should build people up that we should help people along, and dropping the F-bomb on someone doesn't really help them. And it doesn't help you. And so what will we do? We will say, well, you know what? If, if the Bible says to say better things, I'll say better things. And you put every energy and effort to stopping that bad habit in your life, which is not a bad beginning. Here's the problem. The problem is, is if you only focus on the outward, you're still cussing in your head. It's still there. Now, now we're not hearing it, but it's still there because that work, you know, in order to have a mouth that glorifies God, it's an inside job, not just an outside job. It's the same with drugs and alcohol. If you're caught up in the area of drugs and alcohol, yes, it is a great idea to stop. But let me tell you something, unless God does a work inside of you, stopping is going to be starting all over again because of the power of that addiction. You and I, we need to change from the inside out. We need to be sanctified. You need to be born again. That's where true life comes. Because in our lives, if it's just the outward, you see, that's what, it's not just something you and I do. The problem with religion is religion always works on the outside, but God, he always works on the inside. And that's who we want to yield to, whatever issue it is in your life. Because you're going to find, you know, the amazing thing about sanctification is you're going to find you're going to get to some great victory There's going to be some great thing that happens in your life. And you're going to like, yes, until the Lord reveals something else. And you're like, where did that come from? I thought I I arrived, man. I thought I finally made it. Well, you you have a victory. Now God's going to take you from victory to victory. He's going to reveal something else to you. And then he's going to reveal something else to you. He's going to reveal. He's going to take care of some real big things in your life. He's going to take care of a lot of little things in your life. You know, another way of thinking of sanctification, I haven't seen it all that much recently, but Years ago, there used to be this little bumper sticker. And on the bumper sticker, it said something like, be patient with me because God isn't finished with me yet. You ever see that before? Be patient, God's not finished. That's a bumper sticker way of describing sanctification. It's actually, it's, it's not to be used as an excuse. It's just the reality. God is changing all of us. And there's still much that needs to be changed in our lives. And God is faithful to do that. Let me share a few verses with you that will reflect that. For example, jot it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It explains a little bit now of that verse that we can lay our head on the pillow at night. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That God is working all things together for the good. You see, the good that God is working out, something, is, something wrong happens to us, some difficulty, all of the good that we ever experience and all of the bad. All of the heights of living for Jesus and all the, thing, all the lowlands. All the things that we understand and so much of life that we just don't understand. 
all the questions that God has answered and many of the questions we still are waiting, why, Lord? You see, it's all part of the sanctification. Nothing is wasted with God. He works all things together for his good, and his good is for us to become in the image of Jesus. That's his good. That's where we're headed. That, that's the path that we're on. God isn't just interested in us being good, moral people. He's interested in us being people that are born again, living out his life on the earth. Jesus was what much more than just a moral person. He is God in human flesh. And he came to change lives, not just to be good. He came to impact lives, to literally change them from the inside out. And you and I are tools becoming more and more like him. So Romans 8.29 says, listen, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Paul says that there is a great hope. Turn over to 1 John now, all the way back. Because John didn't just write the Gospel of John. He also wrote 1 John. It's the John with a one before it. And there's a John with a two before it. That's 2 John. And then there's another John with a three before it. That's 3 John. So he wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. So in 1 John, notice what happens. This is later in his life. He's not the son of thunder anymore. God did change him. And when he writes in 1 John, notice chapter 2, verse 8. John changed dramatically over time by the Holy Spirit. And he writes in 1 John 2, verse 8, Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he's in the light hates his brother and is in darkness until now. But he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. I challenge you, read First John. You won't find one verse that says, if you're upset, you can stop loving just for a moment and call fire down from heaven. He's changed. That's not even in his, that's not even in his thought process when he faces difficulty. He becomes this apostle of love. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. First John. It says, beloved. I mean, you have to be changed. When's the last time you just went up to somebody? Now, of course, after service, uh, first service, somebody came up and said, beloved. But when's the last time that you've really called someone beloved? I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, that, that's a pretty term of endearment. He's not, he's not saying, you know, hey, you, come here. Like, he is, if, he's just emanating the love of God. Now, I don't know about you, but before I got saved, I wasn't a very loving person. I just wasn't. And God has radically changed that and, and continues to change it through the years. He uses every circumstance in my life to show me and teach me his agape love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to reveal to me where it lacks in my life and where it's needed. And he just starts, I love this, beloved, now we're children of God. And yet it's not revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This message of love from the fisherman, from the former fiery one, from the transformed one, this new message is love. And John isn't writing it 
We're not going to study the Gospel of John like John is up in an ivory tower somewhere studying love, looking up all the original languages and seeing what all the philosophers have to say and let's write it down and let's study it. And and he's not speaking of love down at us. He's speaking of love with and among us. He's experienced this. He's a man that's been through the fire. He's been through the pain of loneliness and torture and miserable failures. Those of you that were with us in our study in the book of Revelation, you'll recall that Eusebius, the historian, records for us a time in John's life where they tried, where Domitian, the Roman emperor, tried to kill him. Now, by the time this came in his life, he was already out, he had already outlived all the other apostles that had, with the exception of Judas, had died a horrible, torturous, martyr death. And John was still alive, and Domitian ordered him to be put in a cauldron of boiling oil. And in the cauldron, he was preserved miraculously. He didn't die. The oil didn't touch him, didn't burn him. It reminded me, you're like, man, Ed, do you believe in that? Yeah, do you believe in miracles? Because I also read in the scriptures, I read in the scriptures that Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. But we, we, you got to understand, like Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Those weren't kitty cats in there. They were reserved, the animals were reserved so that they were very hungry when a human being was thrown down, they were immediately devoured. And God protected Daniel. And I think of in the same book of Scripture in Daniel, I think of those three young men that took a stand for righteousness and refused to bow down to the false idol. They were thrown into a fiery pit, but the fire was heated seven times more. It was so hot that it killed the guys that threw the young people in. And there they are in the fire. They go down bound, if you recall. They were tied up and bound and thrown into the fire. And as the men that threw them in were were scorched, others came in to look and notice, hey, they're not dead. They're not dead. Not only that, but there's someone else with them. And the Lord had come alongside of them in this miraculous time, not only to preserve them, but to be with them. And I believe the same is true for John. By the way, just so you know, a lot of times we don't like the fiery trials of life. I mean, who does? Who would anyone would write in even the last trial you've been in or the one you're presently in? Of course we don't like trials. If we could do it a different way, we would do it a different way for sure. But understand this. Just like those young men, they were thrown into the fiery pit, bound. But you know how they came out? Loosed. That which was binding them, They came out loosed and free. And of all the things that God will do through our trials, one of them will bring freedom in your life. Will loose you to a deeper relationship with him. John, he knows what it's like to be isolated. Because after after the oil didn't kill him, you know that he was exiled to the island of Patmos. This island, this this place of rocky seemingly God-forsaken place of isolation, but it was in John's isolation that God gave him a great revelation. Now, a lot of attention in Revelation is given to the prophetic nature of the book because it is profoundly a prophetic book. But it's not primarily a prophetic book. The revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what John got on the island of Patmos. You see, his life has changed. 
And God used everything in his life to make him more into the image of Jesus Christ. He's not the son of thunder. You know, he didn't just have a problem with being a fiery guy. He also had a problem with power. He was just like the other disciples. They wanted power. They wanted to know who's going to take over Jesus when you leave. And they were often fighting about it. But James and John are unique because they're the only apostles that had mommy go to Jesus and ask for that power. So who knows what their discussions were, but mom came and said, can you hook my boys up? Because, you know, just like any mom would, come on, moms. You're like, yeah, I want my sons taken care of, of course. But he's not like that anymore. And following his release from exile on Patmos, at about 100 years of age, Eusebius continues to tell us that John went back to Asia Minor, where he pastored. And he was taken from church to church, and home group to home group. And he was carried in. And when he would come in, there would be great applause and excitement. John is here. John, what do you have to say? Share something profound with us. John, tell us something awesome about Jesus. And John would come, and as everything would, 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 would calm down, John would have a single-sentence sermon. Now, I know a lot of you would like me to have a single-sentence sermon, but only John gave them. And here's what he said. Children... Love one another. That's all he'd say. That was his message from church to church to church until he went home to be with the Lord. Children love one another as he traveled with this singular message in his older age. One time in one of the fellowships, it's recorded that one of the elders came to him and said, why don't you say something a little deeper? Why don't you give us something a little more, a little more meaningful? You you were with Jesus. You hung out with him. Give us some kind of insight. And Eusebius says this, that John looked the elder in the eye and responded, and I quote, The sole commandment of Christ is to love, for he that loves has no need of anything else. And that's it. There wasn't anything weightier than the love of God. So how does a son of thunder, desiring power and prominence and position, become an apostle of love? Well, I believe it's because he spent time with Jesus, just like you do, that he was really open to be changed. That as we sang the song earlier, that there was a true surrender in his life, and he laid down his rights, and he laid down those things that were hindering him when they were revealed. He spent a considerable amount of time listening to Jesus and following Jesus and Well, it's the same thing you and I can do, except we have one up on John, you know? We have one up. For all those years he was with Jesus, he lacked the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he did receive that after the day of Pentecost, or when Jesus breathed on them in the end of Gospel of John, as we'll read. But you and I, in the moment we're born again, we have God dwelling in us, living out his life through us. And that's one of the things that just inspires me about John. The area that inspires and encourages me is he, his, his uniqueness of change. If God can change John, then he can change you and me. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and the first of many studies in the Gospel of John. We've titled it, John, the Changed One. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay, or listen to Pastor Ed through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. 
We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you overcome discouragement and even depression. It's Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Pastor Bill Gem. It seems like a day doesn't go by that we don't hear of someone who's really down and discouraged. The past couple of years have really been rough. Did you realize that the prophet Elijah also struggled with fear, doubt, and depression? And you'll read about it in this book, but also how God would lift him out from under the broom tree of despair. Pastor Bill reveals God's rescue plan for discouragement in Struggling Under the Broom Tree. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or just go online to calvaryco.store. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Next time on Abounding Grace, our focus shifts to Jesus, the Eternal One. So come back tomorrow as Pastor Ed Taylor resumes our new study of John. This is amazing grace. Abounded Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.